0: Welcome to Weed Week. I'm Alex Hopper, And I'm Donnell Alexander. This is the Weed Week podcast. You can subscribe to our free newsletters, Weed Week, Weed Week California, and Weed Week Canada, all at weedweek.net. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Weed week News. Got any feedback, write to us at hello at weedweek.net. And we really appreciate it if you can leave us a review on iTunes, a five-star review.
1: What's interesting this week, it's always interesting at Weed Week, but we've got a special guest here. I think she's special because
0: I see her all the time and
1: she's going to be at our big event.
0: Yeah. So the, the ubiquitous Amber Center, she's a, an entrepreneur, an activist, an upcoming judge at the Weedy Awards. Which she puts first on a resume. I don't know if you know that.
1: And she's she's a, the, probably the most prominent member of Supernova Women. And they're a very powerful bunch of advocates in Oakland, and East Bay in general. Yeah. I first
0: wrote about them in 2016, I think. So what
1: were they doing then?
0: They were just, just getting started. Did they
1: have stuff to work with? They, I mean, I, I didn't hear about them until 2018. So
0: They were just started by, I think, four women. So they were just, just getting started and, and beginning to sort of become activists and, and educate women of color about joining the industry. You know, they've made quite a name for themselves.
1: Okay. Well, I wonder if they could have seen in 2016 where California cannabis is right now, but America in general, because there's a jobs report from Leafly They've been watching the industry since about that long too.
0: Yeah, what's interesting about the report? We hear a lot of doom and gloom with you know public struggles at big companies like MedMen and Ease. A lot of people are, are starting to get a little more optimistic. Oh, they are, and you know it's easy to say I told you so. But I, when we in the fall, I think is when we really
1: started hearing about. The jobs being shed and it was upsetting but in the grand scheme of things I I was startled to learn from this report that California is still the leader in the number of jobs in cannabis despite constricting and making one in five jobs go away
0: is that how many yeah, That's yeah. a lot California I think just about everybody involved in the industry here thinks that it's its natural birthright to lead the global cannabis industry and the last year of of difficulties don't really change that equation.
1: No, they don't. And I think what I found powerful about it is that elsewhere this is an anomaly. It's just growth, growth, growth. It's the fastest growing industry in America, legal weed. And if you count illegal weed, it's huge. But um, we we talked about thirty nine thousand eight hundred four jobs in 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 California. But you know that's that's like five thousand more jobs than they have in Colorado, which is a lot less bumpy ride than here. You know. Those maturing states like Washington and Colorado are just turning into job machines.
0: The job thing to worry about is that I think as soon as they allow interstate trade, you're, you're going to have a, nowhere near as, as much of a need for, for um, production facilities because you'll be able to produce hmm. the, the weed that you ship everywhere in, in one place. So if you're just building something and facilities now, should you be taking that into account? It's an interesting question.
1: Yeah, I hadn't thought about the interstate impact. I think about the, the positives. And you know, just to, I don't want to change horses midstream. Is that the expression they use? But I, I do think that these constrictions, you know, the 20% reduction in jobs that happened in 2019, these are just adolescent, toddler, choose your analogy. Immature market things that we're going through. One that has especially difficult challenges because of its illegal status at the federal level. Not everybody gets to see the promised land, that's for sure. <laughs> they get to see it, they don't get to step on it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, do we want to go straight to Amber? It's a fun conversation. Cannabis makes learning fun. That's the
0: <laughs> message political economic lessons all all wrapped up in in a california role which yeah. is which is amber's pre-roll brand but it happens to be one of my favorite cannabis brands
1: yeah we talk about the Wheaties a bunch we needed a best brand name category okay
0: maybe we needed that
1: next year next year amber come on in Welcome to Weed Week, Amber Center.
2: Yes, thanks for having me.
1: God, I feel like I see so much of you. I have so many questions because it's that legal weed thing where you kind of see someone for a hot minute, you get an idea of them, you sit in the audience of the panel, but we get to unfurl your whole world right here on Weed Week. All right, I'm ready. Well, you're ready for the weedies. We know this much.
2: I'm so excited about that. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great time. And y-
0: the judging is over, right? Y- you've made your choices.
2: Yes, made my choices, and I'm ready to announce the winner in the person of color run category. Person of color cannabis business
1: run category. Okay, now sometimes I play ignorant on the podcast just to open things up for questions, but I have to say I am embarrassingly ignorant about what's going on at the Wheaties, and I know there's a category for
0: people of color, but is that what? The, what is this? There's a category for for businesses best business run by a person of color. As well as categories, you know, best edible, best best flower, best with with a focus on California brands. Um, Also, best company for we were recognizing a company for its environmental practices. So a bunch of different categories, some of which promote, uh, I would say, the Weed Week agenda that we believe ownership in the industry should be equitable and that the industry should be sustainability minded.
2: I mean, I completely uh, appreciate uh, what you all are doing. Um, really looking forward to showcasing some of these brands, especially recognizing uh, folks that are trying to do things better, like social, uh, socially responsible, and
0: yeah. So we're going to be giving out the first annual Weedy Awards on February 28th at the London Hotel in West Hollywood. Um, it's going to be a great event. Um, we're going to bring some of our editorial credibility to the inherently suspect business of appraising marijuana brands. Okay, wait,
1: wait, wait. Now, Amber, do you agree with this? This is something we've gone back and forth about, Alex and I. He thinks these contests are inherently dodgy because you can't tell the products apart. Is that what it is? <laughs> do you buy that these judgings, these contests about cannabis are inherently dodgy because you can't tell the difference after the first couple hits. That's what I'm asking you.
2: Listen, you know, I, I can tell if I smoke a whole joint, if it brings me up or brings me down in the next joint, if it'll bring me, you know, how how it sways me. and
1: Sways? Is, is that what it is?
2: You know, you smoke, let's say you smoke some really, really good LA OG, right? Southern California is known for their classic OGs. Gassy, potent. Right been there. If I smoke that. And then I turn around, let's say, and I smoke my weed, the Congo Club, Red Congo, sativa, like that's going to swing me in a whole different direction. And I'm going to feel it. And I'm going to be able to tell, you know, if it's working or, or if it's a dud.
1: OK, well, the the event is February, what, 29th, 28th, 28. February 28th. And I'm going to check you on this.
0: I'm going to see where you are. If you're interested in sponsoring the Wheaties, you should write to John Bollinger at john at weedweek.net. Yeah, uh,
1: that's a good transition, you
0: talking about your involvement here.
1: You have a brand that's different from Southern California OG. This is, again, me playing dumb. I know a little about your brand, but tell us about it.
2: So the name of my brand is The Congo Club. And actually, I have a few brands. One of them is The Congo Club. That's probably the most popular one. It is a a red Congo and red Congolese varieties. So um, red Congolese is an African land race strain, uh, very popular here in Northern California. Hopefully it'll catch on in SoCal too, but um, very clear headed, um, creative sativa. It's kind of unique uh, in sativas in that it has a very high mycerine uh, terpene content. And uh, that is kind of like a sedative type of effect that's typically found in cannabis, usually in indicas. So um, what this does in the red Congolese is that uh, we have this very uplifting high uh, because it is this land race sativa, but the high mycerine content takes out all of the raciness and the strain. So you're not going to get those heart palpitations that you get from Smoking something like
1: train wreck. Well, oh, that's bad huh. because I was in it for the HALT perpetations. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. No, it sounds it's <laughs> it, it sounds amazing though. It does sound like I don't know. Is it? Is it all over the Bay Area? It's we don't. I haven't seen your brand down here. I don't think.
2: Yeah, yeah, it, it hasn't made its way to Southern California yet, but it's definitely all over the Bay, in Oakland and and San Francisco, repping pretty hard, as well as um, San Jose, which is mm-hmm. South Bay. And, and don't you have a pre-roll
0: brand called California Rolls? Yes. That is one of my favorite brand names.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So it's a top shelf pre-roll dipped in hash oil coated in Keith. Like, uh, you know, California Roll. Yeah.
1: Last time I saw you was at Weed Week's Recharge event and we were on the stage. There was a conversation topic that seemed super, super relevant at the time. And now it sounds like it feels like it happened um, 14 years ago. But we were talking about Beto O'Rourke coming to Oakland. Can you recap that and your role in that?
2: Beto coming to Oakland. Yes. So yeah, he came to Oakland, um, really uh, wanting to know from the community and stakeholders in the community um, about the social equity program and kind of what our ideal social social equity program would look like and what was most important to the communities in developing a, some sort of cannabis equity, like social equity. So it was really good um, meeting with him, and I appreciated that he did a lot of listening. There was a little bit of talking on his part, but majority of what he did was uh, listen intently and took a lot of notes.
1: I guess my, where I'm going with that is there's always a lot of political activity about cannabis. And in this present stage, or O'Rourke is a footnote of the campaign at this point. Do you feel like there was anything important that came out of it, that meeting?
2: Um, I mean, if anything, it was awareness, you know, he was the first uh, presidential candidate to uh, really recognize that um, there needed to be social equity in, in legalization. And he brought forth a lot of that conversation, you know, before that, of course, we're all talking about it, but none of the presidential candidates were. So um, I think he did a really good job in bringing awareness and uh, make, and bringing forth that conversation uh, to a national level and including it in the presidential race.
0: Now remaining candidates are all over the place from Bloomberg, who sort of thinks it's pretty stupid legalization to, Sanders who says he'll do legalized nationally on day one which is an amazing
1: thing to say I don't know how realistic it is I don't think it's
0: realistic
2: (laughs) yeah he says executive order first day I'm like all right (laughs) let's do it
1: (laughs) hey so I want to play you something you know obviously I went to the ease event and I think that's the last place I saw you now that I think about it but I listened in on one of the webinars and here you go
2: oh by the way we're having um a tax info session uh, this Friday at Homey on Fruitvale uh, in Oakland, so um, we'll be br- telling everybody what this new tax structure means, to you and your business, and also how you can uh, get tax rebates uh, if you participate in certain activities um, in Oakland. Uh, and then I do a bingo night, a weedy bingo night, on every couple of months, so if you want to come and smoke some weed, and play some bingo and try to win some prizes, some weedy prizes. Starts at five, it goes till nine. There's going to be food and lots of free weed smoking. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so how did you, in your most uh, frank terms, what did you think of that program? You know, I I played the part with you sharing casual stuff because I felt like a lot of the benefit was fraternal, you know, like being part of almost like... A growing up experience how was that for you the whole ease thing
2: um you know it's been really good I've uh, I've learned a lot more so on the fundraising side than uh, than anything the best part of it has been um, being coached by these investor mentors and um, them really helping me perfect my pitch before that you know, I, I hadn't had any kind of real formal training. Um, I've, I've won a pitch competition a few years ago, but really I, that was me just kind of like watching a couple of pitches and flying by the seat of my pants.
1: Can you tell us what specifically they did and what it gave you that you didn't have previously?
2: Yeah, it's, it's been uh, the formal training and going through the whole pitching process and um, and, and what investors expect. I guess, uh, you know, I've raised money in the past, but not a ton of money, like uh, about 300000 I feel like they have really prepared me for the big fish, the, the million-dollar investment that I'm looking for outside of my friends and family realm.
1: So, which of your brands did you specifically get the Ease Momentum money and mentoring for?
2: So, it, it's been for Breeze Distro, so that's all of my, my manufacturing and distribution out of Oakland. So that covers the California Rolls, the the Congo Club, and also Leisure Trees, which is the, our other house brand.
1: So what, what comes of that money? What are you able to do with it? And obviously we know what the investment does.
2: Yeah. What I've done is I've actually hired two people with that money. I hired a production manager, and I've also hired a salesperson. So that's allowed me to not be so, you know, I was we I was really involved in our metric transition. I've been really uh, close, like in our production and also doing sales. And that's not sustainable because I need to go out and raise money, you know, so that we can keep this going. So it, it's really allowed me to be able to, you know, just check in and manage people like I'm supposed to and then get back to the fundraising, which is the CEO's kind of primary function um, in a startup.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about your experiences getting into stores in in the Bay Area and and how that's working out? And are you paying slotting fees? Is it really competitive? Tell tell us a bit about your your adventures.
2: Uh, it's very competitive, you know. Uh, I'm not paying any slotting fees because I don't have those kinds of budgets and money to throw away. And my opinion is that's like you got you know, a million dollar, uh, marketing budget, then you can go ahead and do those kinds of things. But I don't have
1: that. How do you compensate for not having that?
2: I mean, I go into these, into these establishments and I'm like, look, you know, I'm, I'm a woman of color. I'm a veteran. Um, this is my company. Um, and I do a lot for my community and I'm, I, I'm just trying to make space not only for others, but myself included. Will you take my product, you know, and it's not like I've got a bad product. Uh, the Congo Club was the third selling uh, best selling sativa two quarters in a row, ac- according to BDS Analytics. So, you know, people really dig the strain, and that's in the whole state of California. Like, people really dig the product. So, it's not like, you know, I'm coming at them with mids. We have
1: this ongoing conversation about equity, and one of the points we land on, Alex, is that's not how capitalism works, you know? So, I'm curious to know when you come to people with that pitch. What's the response?
2: Yeah, It kind of depends, you know, some folks have said, okay. And really, really doubled down and, um, and supported me, you know, Harborside, they carry us in all of their shops, Hmm. which is so greatly appreciated. Other folks, I can't even get a call back. You (laughs) know what I mean? But then, you know, like that's just how it's going to go. But, um, the buyers, majority of the buyers are white men. And, um, I really want uh, these guys and, and the owners to work with these guys so that they understand the importance of having diverse shelves and making sure that equity does work throughout the state. Because really, at the end of the day, it's dependent on the buyers if they're actually buying the products so that it can be sold.
1: You know, the expression that social um, change, interest in social change ends where one's front yard begins, it might have to change that to dispensary door.
0: It's true. I mean, I think an essential component of equitable ownership in, in the cannabis industry is educating consumers to support brands that they support, not just because they like the product, but because they want to support an equitable industry or they want to support an environmental industry. And I was talking to some some packaging guys the other day who i'd like to have them on the show at a future point because it was really interesting but they said that people in the cannabis industry at least on on the environmental side i don't know about the the equity side they are more interested than buyers of other consumer products in having the product align with causes they support that's a start
1: that's good news um i have one more equity question you talk at a lot of conferences and obviously you meet people from all over America who are dealing with legalization issues. When you get into that conversation about social equity and even social justice, have you seen some approaches that outside of California strike you, things that maybe haven't gotten as much publicity as what we're going through?
2: Um, yeah, you know, I have heard of, uh, and I think it, it, it made its rounds pretty good, but what Evanston is doing, which is just north of Chicago, um, not too far from where I grew up uh, they, uh, they're actually taking the cannabis tax revenues and, and taking that cash and putting it back into the community versus, um, a straight up like kind of licensing type deal, which is what we have out in California, you know? And I think what Evanston is doing is, is what people should really be watching because at the end of the day communities were destroyed by the war on drugs and we have to repair the communities just picking a few people to give a, a cannabis license opportunity to is nowhere near equitable like what about the people that went to jail for cannabis and then now just don't ever want to deal with it again you know or uh the folks that lost their homes in this can uh in the war on drugs their their home was seized if their belongings were seized. Like, what about what do we do about these people? Right. And so uh, I think it's really important for folks to take a look at not the programs themselves, but the intent of the program. Like, what was our original intention? It was to repair these communities that have been destroyed by the war on drugs. Well, how can we do that? You know, and the answer is not giving a few people cannabis business licenses.
1: You're from Chicago. Is that where you're from? Yeah. Uh huh. How did you get out here?
2: Actually, it was my diagnosis from lupus that brought me to California. So, I was diagnosed with lupus on Halloween of 2013. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I was in Chicago. And, um, you know, I- I'm very sensitive to cold weather and I was really worried. So, I'm like, all right, I got to get out of here, you know, or else this winter might kill me because the last winter I was deathly ill. I was kind of constrained to bed for two months. I couldn't walk. Like, it was, I had a surgery. It was really crazy. Like, Lupus does some really strange things to the body. And so um, I was worried about this next winter approaching, and so I did a Facebook post, like, hey, asking my Atlanta friends um, if there were any creative director jobs available, because that's what my background is. And uh, I had a friend here in Oakland who had an edibles company, and he hit me up and said, hey, you ever thought about coming out to California? And I said, well, of course I thought about it, but you know, I don't have any kind of job opportunities out here and I don't know anyone out there. And uh, uh, well, I just knew him through like online chatting, blogging, but I had never met him in person. And so he says, well, why don't you come out here and work for me? I could use your, uh, your art, your art uh, design skills and help in scaling my business. And so I took him up on his offer and I moved here uh, three months later. When you say here, you're
1: talking about Oakland, right?
2: Yes, Oakland. Yeah, sorry.
1: And you were warmly embraced?
2: I was. It was <laughs> so awesome. You know, my the first night I got here to uh, Oakland, uh, I had dinner at Ed Rosenthal's house with my then boss, Mickey Martin. And um, John Vergados and Julie Chiarello from Skunk Magazine actually cooked me dinner at Ed Rosenthal's house. I felt like wow. kind of royal coming up in here, you know? <laughs>
1: Were you connected that how who did you know in cannabis Did you have a background? Let's be let's cut to the chase. Before you came here. I mean,
2: I didn't really know anybody. I was just a blogger. Oh. So yeah, I was a blogger. I used to blog um, for this website, Hail Mary Jane, it's no longer active. I don't think, but um I was I would write all kinds of articles. I wrote like a a recipe column and also a, a weed wisdom column. So I would just tell folks how to grow. In uh, one of my most popular posts was how to turn a chest of drawers into a stealth grow cabinet.
0: We're, this we're gonna have to dig that one up. Had
2: over 10 million views.
0: <laughs> How is the mood in Oakland cannabis circles right now? Is everybody still very down, or do people think the recovery is is coming?
2: There's a lot of small operators here in Oakland, so I think everyone is feeling like they got to double down and be resilient because we know that it's just a matter of time before things start to get better, but. They are already getting better.
1: What's the evidence of it getting better?
2: Sales, you know, business picking up, things just getting a bit better.
1: When did you start saying it?
2: Um, I started seeing it at the beginning of the year, January. But you know, the, this is this is not the case for the bigger operators, in my opinion. The really large conglomerates with uh, you know several hundred employees. I think the lean and mean operators are are seeing a. Uh, An uptick because uh, things are kind of leveling out. Everyone's transitioned over into metric, you know, no flaming hoops to jump through in the next couple of months. It feels like people are very uh, optimistic at this point.
0: Where can people catch up with you?
2: People can follow my advocacy through Supernova Women at supernovawomen.com and also on Instagram. Supernova Women, and uh, if you want to follow me personally, my Instagram handle is it's me Amber E. Follow me
1: on there. Oh, Amber, I got to tell you, it's so good to hear you. I am happy. I thought about this while Alex was talking. I hugged your mother. I don't know who else in the industry, the legal industry's mother, I have hugged. Um, (laughs) And so that we have that, and you were so sick at Weed Camp up in Mendocino. I, you sound like a different person. I'm so happy for you and your health.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. I feel a thousand times better. I was, I was in bad shape at uh, Meadowlands, but I'm feeling way better now. So thank you.
0: And we will see you at the Wheaties.
2: Awesome! So excited to see you both.
0: We'll smoke something later. Bye. All right.
2: Thank you. Bye bye.
1: And that's our show for this week. But as usual, on our way out, we
0: have a tweet from Alex. So this tweet comes from Jamie London Wahlberg, um, which is on Twitter JLW. 3 underscore O, JLW 3 underscore 0. Jamie's a new member of the Weedweek Council. Can you explain the Weed Week Council really briefly for people? An, an assembly of experts within the various factions and aspects of the cannabis world. Jamie's the founder of Tranibus, and their Twitter handle is at underscore. Here's the tweet. Sometimes I cannot believe I live this life. I'm so proud to serve on the at Weed Week News Council. Thanks so much, Jamie.
1: Yeah, people people care about this. You know, I, you learn a lot about the listenership from their engagement. And the Weed Week Council has
0: their influencers too, right? Yeah. They're, there's a lot of spirit and energy. And hopefully we catch them at the Wheaties. Indeed. So as always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Weed Week News. And email us at hello at weedweek.net. For lots more weed news, you can sign up for our newsletters, Weed Week, Weed Week Canada, and Weed Week California, all at weedweek.net. And, of course, if you've gotten this deep into the episode, you're going to want to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes so more people can find out about the show.
1: We're also on Stitcher and
0: SoundCloud. And I'm Donnell Alexander. I'm Alex Halpern. Our show is produced by Donnie Alexander and engineered by Larry Buell. Alicia Bayer wrote our theme music. We'll see you again here next week. Next week. Later.